Welcome to Alabama AgCast, a weekly conversation about news and issues affecting Alabama farmers and forest landowners. Alabama AgCast is produced by the Alabama Farmers Federation. Thank you for joining us again for this week's Alabama AgCast. This is Jacob Davis, Executive Director of the Alabama Peanut Producers Association. Today, we're going to discuss peanut advocacy. Today's guest is Bob Redding, president with the Redding Firm in Washington, D.C. Well, Bob, to start this conversation, tell us what is your role with the Redding Firm and what does your company do? Uh, Thank you, Jacob, and I appreciate you having me on today. I'm the principal lobbyist for the Redding Firm, and we represent a number of agricultural interests on Capitol Hill with the administration. And I uh, have been blessed to represent uh, the Southern Peanut Farmers Federation, which are Alabama, Georgia, Florida, and Mississippi peanut growers for a number of years. I know Washington, D.C. is mostly locked down due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Have things in the nation's capital started to open up yet? Uh, yes. Uh, Washington, as you know, uh, has gone through a difficult period uh, recently. Uh, I will tell you, uh, our offices are on the Senate side of the Capitol, and fences are down, and most of the troops have gone home. Many of the congressional staff have come back to the Hill. A lot of the offices are still working in shifts where they uh, come in on certain days of the week and work virtually other days. But it is opening back up, and uh, there are some in-person appointments, which we're very pleased to see. Uh, but there's still a lot of uh, virtual meetings on Capitol Hill and with the administration. But, uh, yes, it's uh, it's opening back up, and I think over the course of the summer and rolling into the fall, we'll hopefully get back to uh, normal and see some of our friends from uh, the southeast back in Washington. Well, we're looking forward to that as well. And uh, speaking of that, I know there was a new group formed recently, the U.S. Peanut Federation. Uh, I know because Alabama Peanut Producers Association is a part of it through our membership in the Southern Peanut Farmers Federation. Could you help our audience understand the vision behind starting that organization? Yes. Uh, beginning with the 2002 Farm Bill, uh, when the the peanut industry, as far as farm policy, changed dramatically. Growers and shellers and buying points worked closely together. And this was through the Southern Peanut Farmers Federation, of Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, and Florida growers. The American Peanut Shellers Association, which is the, the principal national organization for peanut shellers. And the National Peanut Buying Points Association, which principal uh, organization for buying points across the U.S., formed this coalition to, to formalize our relationship, to communicate more frequently, to develop policy together, and, and candidly move from a regional footprint to a national footprint. And uh, since that time, we've had some other organizations joined uh, the group. We're very pleased with that. But we felt like with this uh, increased footprint, we'd be more effective in Washington and um, include more inclusive. Uh, so, so far it's worked really well and we're, we're, we're pleased to have this uh, partnership with the other groups. Well, and for the past two years while serving in my role in the peanut industry in Alabama, I've really developed an appreciation for the work you do for the entire industry. So uh, in your opinion, 
What do you see as the biggest threat to the peanut industry today? Uh, thank you, Jacob. I I will tell you. I think it's 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 a bigger uh, threat for all of uh, production agriculture, and even includes our, uh, animal uh, agriculture production. There's a disconnect still, despite the farm to table and, the, and all the programs and restaurants trying to bring farmers and consumers close together. We still, on farm policy, have a disconnect between production agriculture and the consumer. The needs of a farmer to produce land, water, inputs, uh, honestly, labor, are all complex items, necessities for farmers, yet consumers do not always understand these things. And we've not, over decades, done a great job in explaining who we are and what we do and how we get these products from a field when you're driving by it to the grocery store shelf. We need a situation, a relationship with consumers where they understand farm programs in actuality are, you know, help consumers. You know, the word subsidy for farmers in actuality, is a subsidy for consumers. Consumers uh, pay lower prices, particularly uh, when you compare that to what the, uh, the farmer receives. These smaller farms, which are, are wonderful for growing some products, uh, growing some specialty products, but when it comes down to uh, production ag, uh, growers, particularly in the southeast, that are having to hire a number of people, buy a lot of different equipment, expensive equipment, rent land and produce these products at uh, the going grocery stores, having consumers understand the, the thin margin of profit in many years, as you know, that uh, there is no profit. Helping them understand that we've got to do a better job of it. As congressional districts become more urbanized, uh, we're going to see a, another round in reapportionment uh, in the southeast. We'll see some congressional districts shift, uh, rural districts get larger and more urban, and uh, uh, some districts lose a lot of their rural areas and, and, and become primarily urban districts. This is, particularly uh, in the House of Representatives, we're going to see an impact of, of that uh, urban versus rural. And instead of pitting one member of Congress in an urban area against a, a rural member, we've got to uh, do a better job of educate, educating uh, that member's constituents about the importance of agriculture. There's a congressman from Northern Virginia who is, uh, was born and raised in the Bronx, moved to Northern Virginia, got into politics, and is now in the, serves in the House. He said it best. He said, no one writes me that lives in my district and votes in my district and says, we need a farm bill. We need a peanut program or a cotton program. He said, but you know what? Everybody in my district eats. Everybody in my district wears clothes. And he said, I can make a case beyond just the nutrition partnership for voting for these programs. And he's voted for it every time. And we just got to have those kind of relationships. And I understand agricultural lit literacy is definitely something we need to continue to work on. And in your opinion, are there any other threats to the industry that we need to be aware of? We continue to see in the last couple of cycles, regional agricultural interest really complicate the conflicts between regional agricultural interest and sometimes commodities complicate farm policy and, and hurt peanuts. Use a couple examples here. A lot of times in Midwestern interests versus Southern interests for farm programs. This policy 
even pits land grants each other from southern uh, areas to the Midwest. We have one on the table right now. Jacob, uh, that has passed the House, the bill has passed the House, and is now being uh, discussed in the U.S. Senate. And that is uh, the Farm Worker Modernization Act. For many years, southeastern agricultural interest and western agricultural interest have supported reforms to uh, farm labor laws. Now, we don't see this so much in the uh, row crop area, but you see it with specialty crops, which you have throughout all the southeastern states. And we're going to see it more and more important to row crop interests like cotton and peanuts. But uh, Bill passed the House, was supported by California production ag interest. Southeastern agriculture had some issues with it. Now in the Senate will be worked out. But there has to be a better understanding of what we do in the Southeast as far as uh, agriculture versus other areas of the country like like the Midwest, uh, where farm structures are very different. The cost of production, interest, the types of equipment, for example, that have to be used on a farm for the grains versus peanuts, and where a lot of specialty equipment's being used. And our researchers have written a great deal about this in the Southeast, uh, that uh, peanuts, for example, requires... Uh, very several pieces of very expensive equipment that you don't need on a, a grain farm in the Midwest. So understanding each other and making sure that we're not pitted against against each other by any interest is is a is a real threat and increasingly more of a threat than we would have seen, you know, twenty five years ago where peanut growers would have uh, battled peanut manufacturers. You don't see that quite as much the last few farm bills. It's never a dull day on the farm, especially when your day starts before the sun comes up. We're Alabama Ag Credit, and while some don't get it, we do. As the local experts in rural real estate financing, we've helped farmers finance everything from homes and land to tractors and crops. Because sometimes your natural resources need financial resources. Well, in agricultural circles, we talk a lot about the farm bill. And I understand it's up for reauthorization in 2023. Could you explain to our audience the importance of the Farm Bill to them? When we say the Farm Bill, if you'll notice uh, for the last several Farm Bills, they've actually changed the title to look uh, to send the real message of what it entails. For example, the Farm Bill authorizes not just farm policy, but nutrition policy, conservation programs, typically for five years. I guess over 50 years ago, Senators on the Senate Ag Committee, urban, rural, came together and said, if we're going to move farm policy and nutrition policy on the floor of the U.S. Senate, we've got to come together. We're talking about food policy, not just farm bill, production farm policy. So today's farm bill has brought together nutrition, farm policy, as well as conservation and forestry. And uh, that's very important for all of us to remember that this this bill, even though the, you know, we the, the slang term is is farm bill and farm policy, we're really talking about now bills that are weighted heavily in the nutrition space, and I, I would think uh, particularly with uh, the Biden administration still in place for this next farm bill, we're going to see uh, the administration with proposals coming out that 
will impact the conservation space and forestry space, specifically related to climate initiatives, uh, more than we've seen in the past. So look for uh, the conservation and forestry titles of the, this next farm bill probably will grow. And uh, those are something that, you know, just highlights all the pieces of uh, policy, uh, legislative policy that, that we have in Washington, conservation, forestry, nutrition, and farm policy that will be included in a farm bill. Well, speaking of that farm bill, what are some common misconceptions that people have about it? Unfortunately, that it's only for farmers. Uh, editorials typically are run in, in, in major newspapers talking about it's a welfare bill for farmers or subsidies for farmers. When we should be talking about that this is food security, it guarantees that Americans are not dependent on other countries as we were at one time for oil, as we saw in the pandemic for numerous items that were dependent on other countries. But uh, the president's Buy American uh, program and USDA's emphasis on Buy American, locally grown, those kind of programs really should demonstrate how important it is for us to have policy that uh, protects consumers, assures consumers safe food products where they can touch and feel and learn about what's, you know, what they're eating. It provides the authority for conservation, forestry and nutrition, other programs, uh, as I mentioned earlier. And uh, it, it's much bigger than a peanut program, a cotton program or a corn program. And I know that uh, we have a new Congress in Washington with a lot of new members. So uh, tell us a little bit about your team. Well, we have, uh, you know, every two years, House and Senate change. And this last time, we had a lot of changes in the House and Senate and a new administration come in. I think what's important from a, a southeastern perspective, looking at it from a production ag angle, is that we, we have a very strong team. We, the chairman of the uh, House Ag Committee and House Ag Approach, which is the, which funds farm policy and nutrition policy, conservation and private lands uh, policy on, on forestry are all uh, Georgians. We have a great team here in, in Alabama with Mike Rogers, Congressman Rogers. We have two new members, one on the Ag Committee with Barry Moore and Jerry Carl, a new member who represents a, a, a strong agricultural specialty crop, peanut and cotton belt in uh, southwest Alabama. But uh, Robert Adderholt, who's on appropriations, is one time was chairman of the Ag Approach Subcommittee. Uh, and, of course, the two senators. Coach uh, Tuberville is a new member of the Senate Ag Committee, which, honestly, I don't think we've had a member on the Senate Ag Committee from Alabama in, in, in many years. Uh, I think the last was Senator Heflin. But we also have a Georgian, Senator Warnock's on the committee, and a Mississippi member. We have a number of strong members in the Senate from the Southeast. So we have a really good team. And uh, I, wanna, I wanna go back to Mike Rogers for a second. Congressman Rogers is probably known most for his uh, armed services uh, leadership, Homeland Security leadership. Uh, but he has uh, been a longtime member of the House Ag Committee and has retained uh, that position over the years that he can go back to. But specifically with holding our, what I call it the SEC caucus, but uh, the Southern Caucus, 
members of Congressman Rogers has been a leader in that. And now the, the new chair of it is uh, Trent Kelly of Northern Mississippi, who is a member of the House Ag Committee. And that's holding a lot of these Southeastern members together who caucus together and, and talk a great deal about uh, rural interest and uh, specifically about agricultural interests. So we have a really good team, uh, Jacob, and uh, appreciate our peanut community uh, staying in touch with them and communicating with them. And that's what's most important for uh, agricultural interests, particularly production agriculture, as these congressional districts and states change and become more urban, that our folks uh, communicate and keep them informed about what's going on on the farm. Well, Bob, we certainly appreciate the work you and your team at the Reading Firm do for our peanut industry. Thank you, Jacob, and look forward to seeing you again. And uh, we thank you for joining us for this week's AgCast. And now, your weekly AgCast wrap-up. Welcome back to the weekly wrap-up. I'm Mitt Walker, Catfish Division Director for the Alabama Farmers Federation. It's summertime, and that means things are getting busy in catfish country. Fish are really starting to eat this time of year. In fact, they'll gain more weight over the next few months than the rest of the year combined. If you find yourself in West Alabama, you'll also see Paddlewilla aerators running more frequently. With increased feed consumption and warmer weather, this supplemental oxygen is critical to fish health and water quality. Feed deliveries are tracking well above 2020 levels, but feed is more expensive due to higher corn and soybean prices. Thankfully, this higher feed price is being offset by higher fish prices. Farmers are currently receiving prices in excess of $1.25 per pound for their catfish. The biggest concern in the industry this week is one shared by many industries, labor. Our two processing plants in Alabama are having a difficult time getting folks to come back to work. The federal supplemental unemployment payments ended in Alabama last week, and this could bring a few folks back into the job market, but this lack of labor appears to be more of a long-term issue. Our farmers are working hard to bring the highest quality and best tasting catfish to your dinner plate. This week would be a great time to support those farmers by enjoying a plate of tasty catfish fillets and hush puppies at home or your favorite local restaurant that serves U.S. farm-raised catfish. That's it for this week. Thanks for joining us. Alabama AgCast is sponsored by our friends at Alabama AgCredit. Give them a call for all your farm and land financing needs. For more information about today's conversation, check out the show notes or visit alphafarmers.org slash agcast. Be sure to follow Alabama Farmers Federation on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Tune in next week for another timely conversation from Alabama AgCast.